I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Pat Bamford around the keeper and penalty of the podcast. Is there anything he can't do? And I'm joined by the super sub of the podcast, Tom Alderson, like Jan Perveda, but better. And finally, the constant set-piece failure of the podcast, <laughs> where every corner feels like a penalty. It's Darren Driver. Darren, how are you doing? I'm all right. Could I not be Liam Cooper's magical through ball for Pat Bamford today? Just, just you know, because uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm characteristically uncharacteristically downbeat today. So um, I, I do apologise right. if I just grumble for for the next hour. We need to pep you up. Yeah, I think so. I, although I do think I will be, uh, you know, very much in in tune with the rest of the Leeds fan base if I'm if I'm grumbling and downbeat. So That's you know, true. at least at least I'll be at home. Tom Alderson, you're doing a super sub appearance for for Joe Hill, who's a little bit under the weather this morning. So we hope he gets better. But how are you, Tom Alderson? Um, I'm slightly hungover, but I don't know if that's Leeds United or the beer. So we'll fight. Mm. But yeah, it just was not good. I don't know. Is it always me and Darren that have to come on after these horrendous performances <laughs> defended? That's what it feels like. It seems to be, doesn't yeah. it? You did say in the group chat yesterday, at least I won't need to defend Liam Cooper <laughs> tomorrow. And here we are. Here I am, and I probably won't defend Liam Cooper today. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's begin, as always, with the question, how did it feel? Tom Alderson, how does it feel? That that was not good, was it? Really not good. Um, I think I should have just turned off after the sixth minute and pretended that we won 1-0. <laughs> we just didn't look like we were going to create anything, and I thought West Ham even looked better than... I thought, I thought they were going to be good, to be honest. Uh, they're just everything that we don't like playing against, uh, but they look well we, we probably made them look a lot better than they actually are still um and that's really saying something Darren how are you feeling yeah just just frustrated really because because you could it, it was possible to predict before the game exactly what problems West Ham were going to cause us and 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 lo and behold those problems came to pass um and we, we kind of failed to failed to address them we we, we didn't do the things that, that we're normally good at and the things that we're normally bad at, we were 
probably a bit worse at than we normally are. Um, so it just it, all around, it was just a, a frustrating experience. And, and uh, you know, as soon as as Click trickled that first penalty into Fabianski's hands, I, I, you know, even though we got the retake, I kind of thought, oh god, it's it's going to be that sort of night, you know. Um, and and it's interesting because yeah, I I, I kind of thought before Click took that penalty because he always does the same thing, doesn't he? He waits for the keeper to move and then rolls it in the other side. He always does the same. And just as he stepped up to the ball, I thought, so what what, what does he do if the keeper doesn't commit himself first? What happens then? And then we found out what happens then, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, there's. I thought horrendous luck on our part that that penalty was allowed to be retaken. I did. I didn't think. That, Absolutely. Didn't think the first one particularly warranted a retake, but it's got to a point, And I don't want this to become a, a discussion about VAR because I mean, if you want to discuss VAR, just go on your Twitter timeline whenever there's a Premier League yeah. game on, and you can do that to your heart's content. Um, but it does feel as though penalties are now just being given as penalties like if you there is literally no way that you can not concede a penalty unless the player puts it wide of the target pretty much absolutely i mean i don't want to i don't want to var bash because you're right that is absolutely boring but what i will say is that i think that the the rule of the goalkeeper been you know a couple of centimeters off his line and that that being retaken, that rule is absolute bullshit in the first place. I mean, he, he, he gains no material advantage by stepping, you know, six inches in front of his line. It, it's just a nonsense. I'm glad we got it, but but yeah, it's just idiotic. I think if they have that rule where you can't like move basically before the penalty taker hits the ball, then they should get they shouldn't be allowing you to stutter in the run up to absolutely it because it yeah. makes it so much harder for the keeper. Mm. Um, so I, I just say you you have to have no stutter and no movement or both you can't mm. have one without the other well back in my day the stutter was illegal <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is is that it's not simply that you're not allowed to jump forward of your line before a, a penalty it's that you're not allowed to stand behind the line either you have to have your feet on the line <laughs> which is why it just becomes ridiculous because otherwise you just kind of think well step six inches behind the line and then when you jump you won't be forward of the line but the rule is about actually touching the line it's just a way of artificially generating goals because FIFA have got this mad belief that goals are what people tune yeah. in for and, and it's it's just not. Yeah, and instead what they get is four minutes of standing around and, and just a general feeling of cheating. I, that's how I felt anyway, that we sort of cheated the system, but anyway. Didn't Bamford go into the box for the second penalty as well when it wasn't retaken? I mean, on the first penalty, there was a lot of encroachment, so I suspect there yeah. was a lot on the second as well. It's, and yeah. it's just it's just arbitrary, isn't it? Like Apparently, it's bad for the keeper to come off his line, but it's fine for all the opponents to be in the box. But that, that, as, as I believe it, they won't give that unless the ball comes okay. back out off the keeper yeah. or whatever. And right. someone's, but either way, it's, it's all ridiculous. We've all become cops. Let's get into the questions because we had a lot of questions. Uh, thanks again for everyone who sent in questions. We, we've tried to get um, as many in as we can, but uh, just it's just impossible for us to get through all of them. So sorry if we left yours out. Um, staying with the, the general feelings of depression and woe and misery, uh, Mickey T asks, can you please reassure us that we're actually okay and we're going to we're going to be okay is this just a dip in form or are teams finding solutions to nullify our forward play and taking advantage of our weaknesses Darren Driver we've been here before we've been here before haven't we where you know notably at the 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 Forest game last season was quite similar to this in some ways in that we, we had a lot of the ball but failed to do a lot with it they they got goals which played to their strengths and and in and also in Bielsa's first season we we had moments where where we really 
struggled to impose ourselves on on games but but I do, I do think that that we we've got a squad of players who need to play at you know as near as damn it their full capacity and potential to get a result out of premier league games and what what I think we're seeing what we saw last night and I'm I'm not you know as you know, I'm not the sort of person who will therefore project this into the future or think it's anything to do with the past. But last night, certainly, you know, there was there were probably seven or eight of them who were well below the sort of performance you would expect or normally see from them. Um, and and I think that I think that that was partly to partly tactical thing because I think that they really did nullify us in the wide areas and we we failed to move the ball inside successfully enough or incisively enough. Um, and I think that that. I know we're going to come on to that later on, um, but but basically, I, I think I think we're in, we're in a bad moment right now, um, and and I'm hopeful that we will find solutions, but there w- there will need to be some different solutions to the ones that we normally try find, which is to keep going down the same avenue. I think we are going to have to find some some more uh, flexibility in the way we move the ball around um, in order in order to to come out of this. I think, particularly when we're up against team, teams like the one we played last night, which which were kind of very defensively uh, solid. Um, but they they also I, I think they also did did some really interesting things in their attack, which I'm sure we'll come on to later on, which which really contributed to our downfall. I would say at this point that having again having rewatched the game back, I don't feel quite so bad about it as I did yesterday. I think part of the part of the problem yesterday was that there was a just a real sort of hopeless aesthetic to the game it felt as though it felt inevitable that we weren't going to get anything out of the game um but actually when on watching it back and on looking at some of the the underlying numbers and looking at the the stats bomb um xg um i mean obviously single game xg whatever but um i think the the xg was obviously much closer than a lot of people thought i think a lot of people thought we deserved to get hammered yesterday um but you know, Stats Bomb had us 1.8 to their 1.9 xG. Um, Infogol had us maybe 0.4 xG behind ish. Um, it was closer than I think we're giving it credit for. Yeah, but if you take into consideration that 0.8 of that was a penalty, then then you're looking at on any of the models we created about a goal a goal from from open play xG um, compared to their two. Yeah, sure. But then I mean, if if you're going to say open game xG. The majority of their good chances didn't come from open play either. So no, that's um, true. That's true. If we're going to take set pieces as set pieces, then I guess a penalty is just as good as a uh, as good as a corner or a free kick. But fair point. The the point isn't to to try and defend what was obviously a poor result yesterday, but just to um, just to give people uh, a little bit of perspective. Um, actually, rewatching the game, I thought we were fairly bad in transition in a couple of periods in the game but actually we settled down quite well um in terms of open play we didn't give them a huge amount um and it just seems to come down to the fact that we've we've talked about post shot xg quite a bit on here but it does just feel as though the chances that we receive we make worse by shooting and the chances that the opponent receive they make better by shooting um and and i guess that's part and parcel of the premier league right it's a it's a division where the people who are, the people who are playing in it are at the the top of the game for a reason because they are able to make those clutch moments count and obviously um I, I I'm not just simply wanting to say the Premier League's better so therefore it's it's harder to play in but it, I mean that is the long and short of it the Premier League is a tough league and where we could get away with it last season with teams maybe not finishing so much or um us being better in 
transition so that we weren't conceding quite so many set pieces. Um, we'll get onto set pieces as well, but it does seem to me that you know we're we're coming up against teams who are going to be absolutely brilliant from set pieces in the Premier League, and that shouldn't come as any surprise. It's the standard of the delivery that's different, isn't it? You know, the standard of the delivery is a total other level from what you see in the Championship. So, you know, in the last two games, we've conceded three goals, all of which were from superb deliveries uh, into the box. Let's also add to that the fact that both Chelsea and West Ham are the teams who've scored the most from set pieces, and they're the last two games that we've been in. So, you know, this is... I mean, I know we talk about kryptonite games a lot. <laughs> maybe, maybe all teams are kryptonite. I don't know, but um, when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to set pieces, those two games are going to be the worst two games that we'll we'll face in that regard. And I think again, the the result of of being hammered in set piece scenarios by a couple of teams means that everything feels pointless, right? It feels as though what's the point of trying hard when you're essentially just sort of giving decent chances away by by doing a sort of routine free kick outside the box. Um, But we'll get on to this. Um, But all of this was a long preamble into saying, I don't think it's as bad as we feel as it was last night. I think there are positives to take away from the game. I didn't think that... I mean, West Ham didn't really have, have many sort of good chances in the box that weren't tightly marked. There's a few Sebastian Allaire chances where he was quite tightly marked. There's one where Calvin Phillips gets a block on it when he heads it down. There was one. There was obviously the overhead kick, which was a good save from Melier. But you know, your an XG model is never going to rate that highly if a player is facing the wrong way and and manages to get a good shot on target. So all of this is to say that maybe um, in the cold light of day, and if you rewatch the game back, you might not feel quite so bad about the game, um, um, as well as all of these other um, qualifiers that we talked about. Anyway, with that in mind. Uh, David Martin asks, okay, whilst the pain is raw and I'm drunk, are we in a relegation battle? Four points from six games. Tom Alderson, are we in a relegation battle? Not quite yet, I don't think. I think we're all right for now because we're just, we're, there's a lot, there's still teams worse than us. I, st- I still watch like um, what Fulham, West Brom, Sheffield United, I think they're, they're and Burnley. Um, but if we don't sort of pick it up soon, then I think we could easily be dragged into one. And then it's more, I think with relegation, but it's more like the mentality of it than sometimes your actual quality of players. Um, I was just looking at the fixtures that we've coming up. So it's like Newcastle next, Scummo after that, Burnley at home, West Brom after, um, away. And you'd think if we're, if it's not turned around after that, um, then then I think we will definitely be finding ourselves in a relegation battle, yeah. I think a lot of people are also maybe underrating West Ham. I agree. Definitely. In this respect. Yeah. And, you know, I think people are going to talk about runs of form when I just don't think it's particularly applicable in this sort of season. We're so used to the last couple of seasons being like constantly having to win all the time. And we've gone into a scenario now where we have to just pick up points wherever we can pick up points. And um, I think because people are sort of seeing West Ham as a uh, well they they were i suppose down at least in a relegation battle at some point last season um we're considering them to be in exactly the same situation and that's clearly not the case um that's not to say that they are a particularly great team and i think part of the problem is is that the the it's it's hard to judge the level leads are at because the teams that they are going to cause problems to are going to be probably sort of top 6 etc sides or sort of more more open sides who are going to attack like sides like Aston Villa for example and the problem is is that you sort of get a false sense of of the level that we're at because you know we're probably going to be better against 
slightly more uh, well top tables top half of the table size than we are to keep teams in the bottom half of the table so yeah it's, it's a it's a tricky one isn't it yeah and, and I think people forget that, that David Moyes is actually a very astute very capable coach who's who's managed to get his you know get get that side playing well I think I think that a lot of Leeds fans particularly will will kind of tar him with the brush of his failure or his relative failure at, at, at Manchester United and um and and I think that that's a mistake because I, th- I think that over the course of his career, he's demonstrated that he's able to get um, get teams playing to a to a level whereby they're not necessarily pretty to watch, they're not necessarily expansive, but but they they will manage to pick up enough points across the season to do anyone damage. Yeah. So let's get into the game itself. Have a a, a little bit of a chat about that. And a few questions about the state of the pitch, which I. I guess is not a good sign of of, of where we're at. But um, Luis de Villa says, "Do you think the state of the Elland Road pitch influenced the sloppy passes? Everyone, every time Elland Road is soaked, they seem it seems as though they can't string two passes together. Um, what do we make of that, Darren? I can't remember a time when the Elland Road pitch was ever in particularly good, Nick. To be honest, I've, <laughs> I've been I've been going to I've been going to Elland Road since since 1989, and if you saw the state of the pitch that year, you'd, it, when the rugby league was also being played on it, you'd, you'd, you'd certainly review whether last night's pitch was bad. Um, no, I, I don't think it's great. I think I think it does cut up very easily and quite quickly, um, and. There were several times last night when players lost their footing. I, I can remember Liam Cooper's sliding tackle with his forehead um, on the touchline was one particular moment. I think Calvin lost his footing a couple of times. Um, but, you know, it's it's that old cliche, isn't it? The pitch was the same for both teams. And although we're trying to play a more expansive, more attractive, more open style of football, you've got to adapt to the... You've got to adapt to, to the... Um, to what the pitch is like and what the weather's like, um, and it's not going to no great surprise that it's pissing it down on a on a December night, December Friday night in Leeds. Is it? You know, it's, that's hardly news. Yeah, I get, and I guess you know the pitch is the same for both sets of players, but Leeds players do get more experience playing on that pitch. So, um, yeah. if anything, that's I, I I wouldn't take that as a, as a decent excuse, really. But um, Tom, did you have any thoughts on on the? I mean, let's talk about the 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 passing. What did we think was the 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 root cause of the bad passing at, at times? I just think it's more in the way the games that we've seen where the pitch has been. Um, Wet was being what Leicester West what Leicester West Ham and Wolves. Um, so I think it might be sort of the teams that we're playing against as much as the weather. I think the weather does play a part, but uh, the teams that have set up well to defend against us um, are probably well are the, the games when we've um, cut and struggled to put passes together. So I think it's yeah both the teams, but also the weather have have, um, have an impact on it. Yeah, because as soon as we get over the halfway line, those teams kill the space, and that automatically yeah. makes your passing look bad, doesn't it? That's the that's the root of it. One of our listeners, Ash Cook, tweeted uh, one of the lists from the other fourteen um, media site, which looks at obviously the the um, teams that aren't in the top six in the Premier League, and he just there was just a, a graphic that was put out which shows the amount of pressures in the attacking third that each team outside of the top six makes in the Premier League, or has made this season. And all he's gone and done is he's just put um, put a sort of red blotch where it's a team that we've lost to, and a green blotch against teams that we've won. And the teams who are not making many pressures at all in the attacking third, so it's teams that are sitting deeper, um, that is teams like Wolves, who are bottom of the list, then West Ham, um, Crystal Palace, they're all uh, teams that we've lost to. 
they're also teams that aren't making huge amounts of pressures in the attacking third per game. Uh, teams who are making a lot of pressures in the attacking third per game, teams like Sheffield United, Aston Villa and Fulham, all of whom, incidentally, we did beat, um, uh, are at the top of that list. So there's there's clearly something going on in terms of the sorts of teams that we're going to, to struggle against versus the sorts of teams that we might struggle less against. Incidentally, Newcastle are third bottom on that list. Uh, so we've got them on Wednesday, so uh, this is all, all to look forward to. It's all right, Newcastle have got the least attempts from XG from set plays, if that makes anyone feel better. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does. Look at you with your facts and logics. I've had that one ready. That's the only thing I've got fact-wise today, by the way. <laughs> yeah. The other thing that I've got to look forward to on Wednesday is one of my mates does a really good impression of Steve Bruce, so I'm sure that after the game I'll, I'll be interviewing <laughs> Steve Bruce for about an hour. Right, let's talk about Well, let's talk about what, what sort of came about in the second half. Um, there was obviously... Um, a couple of substitutions in in the second half. Uh, we had a question from Mark Bryan. He said, what did you think of the subs? Surely Pablo should have been on at some point. Um, I actually thought the substitutions were fairly good. Uh, I think that Stuart Dallas isn't good enough on the right in build-up. We build up down the right quite a lot. So I think we benefited from moving Dallas out of the right-hand side onto the left. And I think we benefited from bringing Shackleton on um, there as well. In terms of, I mean, in terms of the... Um, the cost of substitution like it does feel as though the only real option we have at the moment is just messing around with our wide players and seeing what sticks right feels like we're throwing stuff at the wall and um, and st- seeing what sticks I don't think Costa was particularly great yesterday but I also think Costa's not in a great position at the moment in that he's sort of lost his place to a player who's clearly going to be better than him and more utilized than him and he's under a lot of pressure to come on and perform and um, coming on against a, a stodgy West Ham side who are probably in the ascendancy um, is, is not the nicest situation to do it but let's let's talk about the subs what did we make of that that change at, at half time Darren? I thought it was really interesting because I, I think I think it did give us slightly more attacking presence in that I think Costa was able to beat his fullback a couple of times and get a ball in, but I actually thought it significantly weakened us defensively down that side and that, that West Ham were able to pick through us down there using using Bowen's uh, Bowen as the out ball much much more easily than they were in the first half when whatever you say about Alioski and Harrison and and you know. You, that in terms of attack that I thought they were really poor in the first half they they actually um do tend to be able to manage the de- the defensive duties down that side much more effectively than we were able to in the second half so um albeit with the caveat that Harrison made a complete bollocks of the, of the uh, when when we gave the corner away for the first goal um yeah, so I, I thought it was a, it was a decidedly mixed bag to be honest. Uh, Ross Hodgson says why did Tyler Roberts come on Tom Alderson? I don't know. I was thinking the same thing. I, d- <laughs> I ha- haven't watched the game back, so I'm not. He didn't do anything bad, but did he do anything good? I don't know. That's he came on with what twenty minutes to play, so and yeah. it was already two one down. And I guess the the question is why bring on Tyler Roberts rather than someone like Pablo? I think I said in the group chat as well. What we really miss in these sort of games is presence down the middle, and Pablo can give that. Um, and then you can move Rodrigo up front. So I think. I, I think that game was really calling out for Hernandez and it's a bit of a worry that he's not getting on um, and there's clearly something going on behind the scenes that you've got to think. Yeah, I think he would have really helped us in build, in, to build up, wouldn't he? Because he kind of threads threads the play right from our right-back area right up to, to the edge of their box really successfully yeah. a lot of the time and I think that's what we were really missing last night was somebody to kind of support that build-up in a really measured and sensible way. 
Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think a lot of a lot of the time we've I mean we've commented on this before, the sort of maybe it's just football fandom, but the 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 sort of solution to any problems that you might have on the field is always off the field, right? It's always considered, well, if we'd have had X on the field then everything might have been different if 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 this had happened. It's all counterfactual, right? It's always like, well, this didn't happen, so therefore it probably would have been the solution. Yeah, but the the way I saw the game last night was not that the centre forward wasn't doing his job, it's that we were struggling to get the ball to the centre forward. Yeah. So changing the centre forward was never really going to make a huge amount of difference, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, for me, in the first half, we struggled to transition the ball into attacking areas. When we did get in the ball into sort of the edge of their box and they were all lined up behind the ball, then I felt we controlled the ball fairly well. And then we were just yeah. sort of left left with, you know, sort of fairly hopeless crosses into the, into the box. And that's... Yeah. I guess the problem that we're, we'll, I guess we'll come on to talk about that because it does feel as though if that's your game plan, if your game plan is to is to transition quickly and then when you, well, is to transition down the field and then maintain possession and then try and fashion a chance. What do you do when teams sit deep and you can't fashion a chance? And I suppose that's what I that's what I felt was so disappointing about the game because I felt as though. We came out in the first half, we struggled with transition, and then we sorted it out, really. In the second, even at the beginning of, even at the end of the second half, I think we were doing okay transition wise. We were getting the ball into the right areas. Um, And then, you know, it was just very much became a case of, well, you know, we've been here before. It's just that when we played against teams in the championship, they just weren't quite so good at finishing either yeah. chances from set pieces or, or their counter-attacks and and that's what it comes down to we still have the same old problem surprise surprise that we had in the championship and um, there's not really much you can do about that short of buy it a lot of players who are maybe a little bit more have a little bit more guile to them and you know for all we love Bielsa for taking a team of players who largely finished um, 13th in the championship the season before he arrived that we still have a lot of players who finished 13th in the championship before Absolutely. he arrived and Absolutely. and that becomes the issue um, yeah. which is not me saying you know tear up the copybook at all I think we'll be fine I think we'll have enough to get through certain games but when games like this happen the frustration as a fan is that you sit there thinking you know what's I can't what I can't see anything changing here but we're, we're going to talk about this later we've got some questions about that so uh, one more question um, about the game itself Matt Chapman says last two games we've seen much slower in the second half is tiredness creeping in or are we just being more measured in our attempts to progress the ball um, anyone got any thoughts on that it's Bielsa burnout that's what it is <laughs> <laughs> You always you always see this thing when whenever we're behind. If you if you look onto it, you'll always see it that we're not trying, that we're not running enough, that this, that, and the other. And I I I just don't buy into it. I mean, West Ham largely just sat back and soaked up pressure and and funneled us down into wide areas. And it's hard to look like you you're kind of running around a lot and playing with a lot of high energy when the when the opposition is is so resolute in the way that they set their team up. So I I don't I don't necessarily buy into that. Although I do I do think. Click has looked a bit, I don't know, a bit blunted somehow in the last couple of games, and 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 where there have been times when when the the opposition's uh, central defensive midfielder, there were a couple of times last night where Rice just walked past him, and 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 he wasn't really able to get back in in the way that you would expect. But you know that that could be down to to anything. Um, but I, I don't necessarily think that we're slower in the second half or that we're burnt out or that we're tired or, or any of those things because as soon as we win a game, we'll look fresh as daisies again. That's just the way that fans see games, isn't it? I also think that we look quicker when we're 
chasing back in defensive transition. I think the, the difference yeah. is that we were just holding onto the ball better. Uh, and so it, 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 we, we've said it before, Bielsa is more interested in getting the ball to the right areas rather than getting the balls to the right areas quickly. He would rather yeah. maintain possession than risk losing possession by playing too quickly. And so that's that's kind of the issue. I mean, we we can we can take you can take that up with with Bielsa I suppose in that it feels as though in this league maybe we should be transitioning quicker. That's a legitimate um position to be in, but the problem the problem is is when you're playing against teams like West Ham, they're they they're basically their modus operandi is going to be sit deep, decompress quickly, then get back into your yeah. defensive shape. You can't yeah. play quickly against teams like that. It's 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 physically impossible. And it like we we saw it, we played like this against Liverpool because you can play like this against Liverpool because they play the highest of lines and so you can hit them down the channels and and try and cause them problems. We played like that against Chelsea, scored a goal like that against Chelsea, but it's just very very difficult to do that against a team. They're going to sit in two blocks of four and then going to go forward with two wide players and a striker and not very much more than that. And then as soon as the ball's turned over, they'll get back into their defensive shape. So, yeah, it's. I think when people talk about speed, I think it's it mainly comes from frustration because you just want your team to get forward and score as quickly yeah. as possible. But Bielsa is never going to be a, a, a manager who is going to encourage that against deep-lying teams. He's going to say, keep the ball, try and fashion a decent chance. And we weren't good enough at fashioning decent chances. So for me, the tra- transition speed is not really an issue. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Right. Shall we talk about the defensive and offensive aspects of our team? Why not? Uh, okay, Tom Woodhead. Let's let's talk about something good for a bit because I feel as though everything we're talking about is miserable at the moment. But Tom Woodhead says, "I know a lot of it was quite awful, but make Derek talk about Ailing being good at centre back." So, <laughs> Darren, over to you. So this this comes because before the the Villa game, I expressed reservations about Luke Ailing playing as centre half in a two uh, before the Villa game, and. The way that Luke Ayling responded to that that criticism, which I'm sure he heard, um, <laughs> was by being the best player on the park. Uh, and and I thought last night he was very, very good in that role again. Um, I've got absolutely no problem, uh, Tom, saying, saying that, uh, that, that Luke Ayling was, was superb last night. Um, I thought that he also took some really calculated risks in terms of the way that he moved forward with the ball in the same way that he does when he plays it. Uh, right back, I thought. I thought all round, Alien was really good. The the other thing that I kind of noticed um, was that he 
he marks from corners in, in, in a much smarter way than some of the other players who tend to get sucked under the ball. Ailing tends to give himself a yard or two on his player to kind of, you know, give himself space to spring and to move. Um, and, and also is very good at blocking his man off um, in, in, in situations from corners and free kicks. So, yep, all round really good. Yeah, it's it's a, an interesting thing, isn't it, that our best centre back is also our best right back. Um, uh, I, don't, I don't know what to make of that, but he he really was elite yesterday. Uh, watching him back, watching the game back, he's he's just a play. He's just the player who stands out yesterday. Like everything he did, pretty much was right. Everything that he did was was good. He's he's a genuinely elite defender in the Premier League. Um, and not many of our players looked particularly elite last night. Um, I think. Pat Bamford looked pretty good yesterday. I think Phillips was okay, um, but beyond that, I'm like I'm struggling to think of anyone I thought was was particularly standout. Rafinha was okay. Rafinha was okay. Melier was yeah. good. Um, Melier was good. Yeah. Rafinha faded though, didn't he? Which is which is a, a kind of pattern that we've seen quite a few times in that he looks really lively for the first twenty minutes and then he gets moved to the left and then we never see him in the game again. Yeah. I know he got moved back to the right quite quickly last night. He but, flipped but across he, a few times yesterday, didn't he? Yeah, it felt, he did. felt like he played a little bit in the first half on the on the left and then back on the right and then went back on the left with with yeah, Costa as well. But yeah, I mean Rafinha again, Rafinha is a player who is going to thrive in games where he's given space to run into. And yeah. that's not one of those games I don't think. There was there's one chance where he went up against Dog Bonner um and didn't didn't manage to get past him and had a weaker right foot shot. But uh, a lot of the time I felt as though he was sort of kept at arm's length by by West Ham and um you know, this is the difficult thing. I think we'll come up against a team in the next few weeks who gives us space to play and we'll look great again and everyone will be like, why were we worried? Yeah. Um, so much of it just comes down to the the, the the tactics. I do worry that teams are going to quote-unquote figure us out or at least teams are going to get to a point where they think, well, the best thing to do here is just sit, sit deeper and uh, absorb pressure. I mean, teams like Burnley will probably do that anyway, but there are going to be some teams who are going to just think, you know, we know how to play Leeds. Put put them under pressure in 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 wide areas during transition and and then counter attack them and sit deep and then try and hit them from set pieces. It's not yeah. it's not exactly rocket science. Um, and I think we'll see more and more teams do that as we as we go through this the the season. But yeah, here we are. Um, lots of questions about I guess set pieces and um uh crossing as well. The training RQT says, is there a team worse in terms of defending crosses than us statistically, i.e. crosses face per goal or chance given up? Uh yes. <laughs> now I am I'm, I'm I'm not sure on the stats behind this, but I don't think we're the worst, but we're definitely up there. And certainly when you take into account set pieces, we are the worst, I'm <laughs> pretty sure. I haven't had the chance to look through the stats because we've had a fairly quick turnover on this, but I will I'll I'll dig into them and, and put something up on the the Twitter feed to see um, what it looks like in terms of uh, crosses face per, go- per per goal or chance given. I've got expected goals conceded from set pieces. Have you? Um, yeah, we're second worst on that. All right, okay, that makes <laughs> uh, sense. Behind West Brom. Right. Um, so yeah, well they're like four point six, we're four point two. So yeah. So not... we might score from a corner against West Brom is what I'm taking. That's going to be corners. Everyone's going to like five all five headed goals from corners. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'd love to see our like XG created from corners against teams because I can't imagine that's particularly high. Let's see. Let's so let's talk about set pieces. Let's get it out of the way. Um, Andrew Foster says Bielsa doesn't put much stock in set pieces in general, as statistically they are of small benefit over the season overall. Is there any data to suggest this has actually changed and set pieces are now becoming more important? Um, again, I don't think 
that this is necessarily the case. And there was a there was a phase a couple of years ago where you were more likely to score from counterattacking your own corner um, than you were from taking your own. Sorry, more likely to to score from uh, counterattacking an opponent's corner against you than you were to score from your own um, corner. I think the issue here is that Leeds are just really bad at set pieces, and so suddenly they become quite influential. And when you come up against teams who play the percentages like like West Ham do, then they they will know that that we concede a lot of I think it's something like 44% of the goals we've conceded under Bielsa have been from from set pieces they know that we're weak at them that they they should they they're going to put a lot of stock in those and make sure the delivery is good and, and all that that kind of stuff as they did last night so um I think I think we we might see set pieces as being more important in our games than necessarily other other teams would as we've also said, Leeds have a really, really bad record in terms of getting heads on, getting heads defensively on yeah. on balls from corners. We we said seven out of eight of the corners we had against uh, we faced against Chelsea were um, were hit by Chelsea players when the when the ball went into the box, which is a massive percentage. And Leeds' overall percentage this season is over fifty percent, um, when most teams I think are more likely to be around twenty five percent or less. Um, in terms of opposition players heading heading the ball from corners, so yeah, it's not it's not a nice situation to be in um, at the moment. But yeah, we can. Talk, I mean, we can talk about set pieces till the cows come home. Home. Um, what do you say? Short of well, you could try moving to a zonal system, um, which won't happen because Bielsa nope. said yesterday in his press conference after the game, the issue is is that. We've, we've not put the things we've practiced into practice in the game. And until we do that, we'll con- continue to make these mistakes. So he is fully b- believing his theory and approach to, to set pieces. He just thinks there's a um, deployment issue, that, that the team aren't doing the right things um, in, in in the games when it counts. And look, we've been remarkably unlucky. With, so I, I do think that has to be said. I mean, even you, you look at the the Ogbonna goal yesterday and yeah it's a great header but if you if you look at that he basically just jumps at the ball and at first I thought the ball had sort of skewed off his head and gone gone out for a throw in it's 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 one of those things where you know Cooper's slightly missed the ball I think and Ogbonna's just put himself there and and just got the got the header at at the right time and yeah I mean Suchek's was was a good head a bit like Suchek was up against Stuart Dallas and like what do you do? what do you do um I mean Dallas looked tiny against Suchek and it does come down to the fact that we do have like a we just have a small side a side that aren't particularly good aerially I mean Phil put up a Phil Hay put up a um a graphic showing um you know it's one of those graphics that I hate because it's just sort of like it's a smarter scout thing where it's just kind of arbitrary numbers given to how well a player is done with um heading um, through their career, and we've got Liam Cooper who looks semi decent, and then everyone else. I mean, Rafinha was second on the list as our most successful <laughs> header of the ball, which is just depressing, really. So, yeah, I mean, how do you go about changing that? Bring in players who are decent aerially, I suppose, um, but at the same time, Bielsa is is, is always going to have higher priorities in terms of signing players. So, he's not going to bring in a player who's six foot three and great at, at defending set pieces if they're not also good at building up from the back. So, these these logics can just go round and round and round in hours. What 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 are we supposed to what are we supposed to say? I mean, if, if Bielsa thinks it's a, de- a deployment issue, I mean, I'm inclined to believe him if he believes he can he can fix it by using the methods that he's got. But what I do know is that we need to stop giving big fuckers free headers in the six yard box, yeah. <laughs> like as a matter of priority. <laughs> yeah, 
And it's one of those things as well, you know, I think that as soon as it be- something becomes an issue, it becomes an issue and it becomes a psychological yeah. issue, right? It does. And, yeah. and now everyone's going on about offset. I mean, there's so many things. You can go through the seasons and just talk about like three game sl- sl- blocks where people will say, oh, this, at this point we're doing this badly. At this point we're doing this badly. And you, eventually it will. It does turn around. We've been doing this sort of stuff long enough. Like we've, we've seen Leeds play badly and then pull it out of the bag we've we've also seen Leeds not be terrible from set pieces even during the course of this season yeah it's our old friend confirmation bias isn't it because yeah. as soon as we concede concede a goal from a set piece then therefore we are bad at set pieces yeah. and as soon as Liam Cooper makes a mistake therefore Liam Cooper is the worst <laughs> central defender on the planet yeah. he made two last night as far as I could tell Right, let's whip through a couple of questions then. I'm not I'm not going to do it. Well, let's do this. Leeds Faithful says, it seems that our set-piece concessions come from blocks or slips that cause our players to lose their mark. Today it was Cooper overrunning his mark. Do we need another free man at the back attacking the ball? I believe our nine, and usually Janssen used to do this. Um, Torrey B. Pedersen says, we seem to make... We seem to be making a lot more easy errors this season. True or down to better opponents who punish us more in the Premier League? Um, quick answer on this, Tom Alderson. I think it probably is true. And then to go to the first question, I think it's easy to want to go back to a time when we had, um, was it Janssen, Kyle Bartley and Chris Wood who could defend it when they're all above like six foot two, when like our tallest player now is six foot one. So you can ask for the free man, but I just think they were better players for those situations more than the system. Yeah, I mean, it does raise the question if we did move to a zonal system and we were just bad at corners, then what do you do? Um, maybe we wouldn't be quite so bad, but I do think that I do think that we would still concede corners um, because I think yep. it's a personnel issue most of the time. Right, yep. um, a question for Darren, I suppose. How concerned would you be if Melier got injured? He's <laughs> single-handedly keeping us in games every week and feels like we are completely over-relying on his performances every time to stay in games. Lots of quality saves again. That's from Steve Buchan. Uh, I would be extremely worried if Melier got injured, um, not least because it would mean the racist clown would be back in goal for for, for a spell. He, yeah, Melier absolutely did keep us in the game last night. The only reason that Rodrigo's missed header mattered in the last minute was because of those two saves that Melier made in the second half, which which were both outstanding. The one from a, I think from a free kick, and then and then the one from the overhead kick. Um, he. I think he could and should have done better for the first goal. Um, yeah. um, he gets sucked under the ball and then can't kind of really he kind of regain his positioning. And and I think it's that that's the problem rather than you know you'll hear that uh, um, Chris Packett hands nonsense coming out probably from some people. But but um, I don't think it was anything to do with that. But I also do think that that bad defending leads to bad goalkeeping and I think that was that's part of the part of the issue he was sort of trying to proactively deal with the situation which he probably should have shouldn't have been going anywhere near but overall in terms of the saves that he made last night I thought he was very good I thought his distribution was decent as it, as it as it usually is and and it's the first game for a couple where he hasn't presented the ball to one of their forwards on the edge of our box so that's also a plus um but yeah he was he was great right let's talk about attacking um which well probably won't be any more positive than defending but let's let's just jump in a uh, couple of questions about playing against uh, sort of low blocks so Pratik says the only match where a high number of players in final third led to a goal was the Aston Villa game it seems teams have figured out defending against us by being static and anti-man marking how do we score against a low block when we clearly don't have the finishing power uh, Nick Hammond says will the blueprint for beating us at Elland Road be mass defence hit us on the break to create set pieces in our final third then use strong tall defenders to outmuscle us so yeah Darren I thought that um 
that we didn't commit as many men forward last night as we ordinarily do at times. I thought I thought there were times when we when we were leaving five players back and letting five players attack, and I think that was partly due to the fact that they were they were definitely leaving Bowen high um, throughout the entire game, to, and and I think that caused a bit of doubt in our mind. Um, so, but how do you score against a low block? Well, that's a million dollar question, isn't it? Which which a lot of elite teams have failed to answer over the years. You know that, that we we continually come up against it. We you do it by I guess by um, well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. How do you do it, John? How do you score against a low block? Well, yeah, I mean, we say this a lot enough times on this podcast. That, you know, Manchester City struggle to to break down low blocks as well. Yep, and that's the, that's the reality of it. There's a reason why teams play in low blocks against sides that are good at manipulating space um, because you you nullify them and then you you take your chances by hitting them on the break because you're more likely to do that we know this we, we saw it in the championship last season and we're going to see it again this season the difference being that we're playing against better sides so yeah it's it's a tough one you're waiting for a bit of magic or a bit yeah, of luck, exactly basically yeah. yeah and you know if you're Manchester City and you've got Kevin De Bruyne Raheem Sterling Bernardo Silva formerly David Silva, Phil Foden, players like that, you, you've probably got a good chance of breaking to, like, down a low block. And even still, they, they struggle uh, against it. So it's just the reality of it. You have to sort of take it as a as a um, compliment that, that teams figure that the best way of beating you is by defending for most of the time and um, and seeing if they can they can nick a goal. Like, you know, two, two set pieces yesterday, if we'd have defended them better, then you never know what would have happened yesterday. Um and that's the that's the reality of it. Um, Leeds United States asks the question: What is the fix for when teams press us in wide areas? Do we need to be more willing to drive with the ball in the centre of the field? So this is responding to my big bugbear at the moment, which is that Leeds are quite easy to to break down if you can get them in transition phases in wide areas. And I think West Ham did a fairly good job of it yesterday. Um, Tom, any any suggestions here? Yeah, I think it's just if we can. Um sort of be more open to using the mid um the center of the field and I think Hernandez probably would help with this and I think he'd have helped with the question before he's kind of got that ability to well he's got more ability than the rest of the squad to break down a low block defense and so if you've got him, him Rodrigo Rafinha on the field you just think they probably will create at least one or two good chances um so yeah I just I think I just I'd quite like to see Hernandez back um just to give us a chance in these sort of games really yeah, we haven't really mentioned the fact that West Ham changed their formation yesterday to play, I guess, closer to what um, Crystal Palace did against us with with two banks of four rather than five and five and four. Um, and it, I guess, it worked fairly well. They did they did pressure us quite quite well in the wide areas, I thought. And so again, that's there's another example of a of a team sort of thinking about how to to cause those problems. And it's going to be something that will, I think, become more prevalent as the season goes on. Um, we had questions about the wide players. Um, Daniel Moroni says purported benefit of high and wide wingers is not only their attacking threat but that they stretch the pitch and open up space in channels however we seem too predictable tonight didn't see much threat in this area should we expect more from Rodrigo in this area and should Rafinha be cutting in more I'm not sure what the problem was Um, and then James Holt-Martin says is Harrison good enough for us is it too early to think about January the January transfer window Um, and there seem to be a lot of questions along these lines. You know, what what is it that we're trying to get out of our wide players? Should Rafinha be played as a ten? Um, is Harrison good enough? Um, is Costa good enough? Is anyone good enough? So, what 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 what's the general take on on wide players, Darren? Again, when you when you're playing against a low block, and just just imagine that you you, you held a Costa, you've managed to get Randy full back. 
and you look into the box and it's full of West Ham players and there are a couple of Leeds players who are, who are kind of diddy men around around the area. I mean, Patrick Bamford's not, not small, but he's also not the biggest guy in the world. So I think in terms of, in terms of you know, kind of, it, it's all the same problem and it's all connected to trying to break down that low block. And the way that we do it is is by, by getting players out wide and, and through interplay down there. And they basically just killed all that space that we normally have. I do think that there were times in the first half, particularly when Harrison and Alioski had really good positions um, and decent crossing opportunities, and they really failed to do that. And I think if, you, if you've if you got four good crossing opportunities in, in a half, I think you would expect two or three decent crosses. And I think we got one last night, which Bamford managed to get ahead of from. Um, so I, I do think that there is there is an issue with with quality once we get into the positions. Um, and if you con- contrast that to the, the quality of, of West Ham's delivery at times last night, I think you, you see a really clear kind of gap between the the execution of, of those kind of really key passes. Rafinha's cutting in a lot, so I don't think that's really a problem. Um, yep. In terms, if I'll go on like Jack Harrison, um, I think he's kind of struggled since we restarted post-lockdown, really, apart from a couple of games. like He scored against Liverpool at the start of the season. He looked good for the first couple of games, um, and I think he could do with a run of games on the bench. I'd like to just see one of Costa or Paveda just given a run uh, to sort of probably cost them more just to give a try and get a run of games and put some good performances in um and like Harrison's he's got the stats to sort of back say like he's been playing quite well but I think it's more of a result of the positions he gets into um that the team puts him into more than that he creates for himself so I'd, I'd just give him a run on the bench and just mm. get someone else in there yeah I think you know uh, Harrison is such an important f- fulcrum around which the team he plays in that position, right, where we use him as an outball and we try and bring him into the game as much as possible. That I think you're, to a certain extent, our attacking option, our attacking output and performance is only as good as he is, and that's the issue. Then becomes if he has a poor performance, does our does our attacking performance suffer as a result of that? And I think more often than not, it does. So, um, yeah, in terms of whether or not it's too early to think about the transfer window, yeah, I don't know, but I don't think. I don't feel like we're going to spend anything in January unless we get another, like a, an actual injury that would cause us problems. And even then, maybe not. But anyway, um, in that vein, Willow Flood says, will faith in average players cost us this season? They do exactly what is asked from them off the ball, but Alioski and Dallas are not good enough technically to contribute in a possession-based system. Um, thoughts on that? Tom, we'll go with you first. You touched on this quite well last night, because I think I said Alioski and Dallas were fine, and you said they were fine compared to their lack of ability more than fine, as in what you want them to do. And I think that was spot on. Um, D- Dallas will always do the job that he's asked of off the ball, um, but if we are going to get better, I do think that we need someone... I don't, we do need replacements that probably for Dallas what well, we need a new left back basically to help us in build up um cuz yeah I just I just don't think they're good enough in the in the build up phase and I th- I think we will see that in the summer won't we I I th- I would be amazed if we didn't see a proper first choice left back and 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 a central midfielder come through the door in the summer I, I, but I think that when when you when you're promoted to a new league I think we've seen lots of teams um buy 10 or 11 new players and and then you lose all that continuity and they end up getting relegated. Whereas I think what we're doing is is we've we've brought in players who I think have 
um, increased the overall quality of the squad and we'll be good enough to see us survive pretty comfortably this year and then we can start to add to those once we once we we uh, once we move on and I, I, th- I think that as football fans we all want everything right now we want we want to be promoted and we want to finish in the top four and blah 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 and it's just not a realistic approach I think I think we we need to we need to be building sustainably and I think we are doing that but that means that we are going to have limits on on how good some of our players are going to be this season right our favorite part of the show positives um, we had a question from Dan Holdsworth. He said, I'm deciding to focus on the positives. Melier, Ailing, and Phillips are really good tonight. Bamford pretty good as well. Give a, give, get the performance levels of some of the others up and we'll be fine. Um, so without further ado, let's go through the positives from, from yesterday. So I think most of us would agree that, that Luke Ailing was the main positive. Um, yep. Anyone want to add anything on top of the, the ones that Dan suggested? I'm struggling, not going <laughs> to lie. <laughs> uh, yeah, me too, me too. I, I, thought, it was, I, I didn't think Phillips was very good. I think he was okay, but I think he was... I really enjoyed the the bit where he pushed Ben Rama off the ball, like like your dad pushing a kid over at football. Yeah, it was, yeah, that was beautiful. That was um, that made me laugh out loud, which was which was quite difficult to do last night. So I thought Ben Rama actually did a quite a good job on Phillips yesterday, which surprised me a bit. Yeah. yeah, one I don't think of him as a sort of particularly defensive, um, defensively reliable player in the sense that I, he's not the sort of player that I would think. I guess he played for Brentford, but um, I, I wouldn't think that he's the sort of player who you could say, right, you're going to do sort of off-ball man-marking job on on their central defensive midfielder, and he would um, keep him keep him there most of the time. But I think he did a pretty good job on on that. And I, you know, this one of the things that you can do to really cause Leeds problems is to man-mark Phillips in out of like out of position. Like when he's in possession it really causes us problems and part of the reason why we looked so good against Everton was because Phillips was given so much space and you know I don't know it does amaze me that you can get um, football teams we have like video analysis departments that spend a week watching all the games from the season and they don't come away with sort of doing basic things like make sure you man mark um, Calvin Phillips as much as possible but any other advances on positives or should we should we move on and and look forward to a, another we've got a game on Wednesday haven't we hard to think that that won't be a positive thing right <laughs> <laughs> Newcastle Newcastle don't scrape their way through games do they and s- score a lucky amount of goals compared to their XG and nah, sit deep never. and play I don't actually football. know what Newcastle do to be honest <laughs> <laughs> I've watched some games who's playing centre forward for them at the moment is it Andy Carroll yeah, Callum Wilson I guess if he's if... is it Callum Wilson because <laughs> uh, I'm terrified you've already said Tom what was your stat? Which one was this? Oh, they, they don't score from... Uh, set pieces or something? Yeah, they're the worst in the league by miles at, at, at XG from set play. Okay, cool. Well, that's good. But we're also horrendous, so <laughs> they, probably, they can't reach over out. So I they may know. just only score one from set pieces, is yeah. what you're saying? Oh, I, think I've, I can think of one more positive. Excellent, what is it? It's not, not about Leeds United, though. Oh. So the preview pod was relevant because I said that they were going to score from a corner, if that helps. <laughs> oh, nice one. It's the only relevant bit left of the preview pod. <laughs> Nostra Thomas. <laughs> yeah. Right, looking forwards then. Um, we did have a couple of questions about about sort of how we adapt from here so gmf says how much flexibility does the current approach allow and how far could we change things within the principles when it's clearly not working do you think the ability to switch it up is necessary or is it logical to just plow on and montag says definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results 
I love the way we play, but it always plays into the hands of this type of team at home. In this league, it gets punished. Do you think we're capable and or willing to adapt? If so, how? So, yeah, a bit more of a, a forward-looking question. And I guess that's what I was saying at the outset of this was it just feels a little bit like you get into a game like that and you just we just know from the off that we're just not going to get anything out of the game because it feels as though it's one of those games where we aren't going to create many great chances and we're going to give away a few good chances and it it just almost feel, feels inevitable that the, the system isn't going to work uh, but there's nothing that we can do about it so how do we feel about this Tom? Yeah, we haven't got the players to adapt that's the worrying thing like we haven't we can't be like let's throw three different players in change the system a reasonable amount because um, it's like we said we can put two different wingers on um, and we've got Rodrigo but he's like just the Pablo replacement and apart from that nothing's really different from last season uh, system wise so that's more the worrying thing that we can't adapt can I just say I think the, I think Montag has, has done a really good job of rephrasing the question why have we got no plan B um, here and that's an excellent <laughs> excellent piece of work which I, I, I'll give him credit for <laughs> yeah this is what I was saying yesterday is that the worry is is that what do we do at half time or whenever whenever we're struggling tactically it feels as though the only solution we have is to sort our system out so that we're playing our system to the best of the ability that we can it never feels as though we I mean, and what do you do like who do you bring we don't have anyone who can I mean we're we're in a situation where we're having to play Rodrigo who probably isn't uh, a, a, an advanced eight as an advanced eight um and then the the the, the, cha- the changes that we do bring on are either like well we'll bring on a different winger and see if they can do what we want them to do but the other person isn't doing or it's basically switching over Dallas to be in a position he's probably slightly better in um and and soliding up with with someone like Jamie Shackleton on the other side none of those are particularly inspiring changes none of them inspire me to think oh you know maybe we'll do things better it just makes me think that we'll will Bielsa is dealing with issues that we have in the first half which is we didn't transition quite so well but when we did transition we didn't cause them any problems and all it meant in the second half was that we transitioned fine and we still didn't cause them any problems and um you know I think I think this it's fair to to ask those questions when it does feel numbingly inevitable that the game is going to go a certain way um but the alternative I suppose is just bringing on a big striker and lumping it to them too which I don't think is particularly great either and so I think it's just a case of sort of trying to weather these games and then trying to get the points where where you can get them and uh, until we've got a, a really elite creative player in the middle um then like there's not really much we can we can do against these low blocks it's just a case of being like well let's just hope that God's favor us on this day so How's Ryan Edmondson doing? <laughs> J. Roy Grot, isn't yeah. he still in the squad? <laughs> That's all we need, you know. All we need is one of those two. Chuck him on. Is Lasaga about? Is he free? <laughs> oh, he's come get on a free transfer. <laughs> right, before we dis- descend into into anarchy and, and madness, uh, I think it's probably good for us to, to draw this to a close. Um, thank you again as, for all of your questions. Like I said, there was a lot of them, and um, it's it's. I think it's tough to do a, a po- podcast the day after a game like that um so hopefully we've we've covered a lot of the of the issues but it does feel as though a little bit groundhog day-ish with with some of the um the problems that are being caused so have you watched groundhog day yet john i haven't watched it yet no (laughs) this feels like groundhog day doesn't it (laughs) (laughs) yeah well it's it's all part of a bit but what i should say is that if you do like our content and you want to get more of it then we have a patreon channel where we put up bonus content for people who are subscribing um, we have lots of content over there written audio and video i'll be putting i think a, a video uh, analysis bit up at some point in the next couple of days um 
depends uh, i don't know there wasn't a huge amount of tactically interesting things going on and we do have a a glut of games that are coming up um in the next few um in the next few weeks so i'm gonna have to balance which games i do video analysis on but save it for the tactically interesting newcastle game <laughs> yeah, exactly i can't imagine that the newcastle game will be particularly tact- tactically interesting either so um but yeah if you like the sound of that then head over to our patreon um page which is www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we and have a look around there and see if there's anything that takes your interest three people who have done that are david glees uh, patrick ackerman and uh i'm repeating names now and d hunter so thank you guys for for that and all that remains for me to do then is to say thank you to darren thank you thank you to tom thank you very much and actually i should say given that we've got loads of games coming up i don't think we're going to have a preview podcast this week for the newcastle game what i'll try and do is have an interview with a fan and i'll just put that up as a as a podcast in its own right so we'll be back on uh i guess thursday or friday um with with a review from the newcastle game um and hopefully we'll have some sort of preview of the game following Keep an eye out. We're going to be playing things a lot by year over the Christmas period, so but hopefully we'll still have plenty of content out for you. So thanks very much for listening. When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 